Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste. Because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. Thanks, Julian, for reading for us this morning, and let's pray together now. Father, that feels uh, somewhat unpalatable. And we pray that we would understand your word rightly now. And we believe it's true and we believe it's relevant. Please help us to see how this should work out in our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Monday, May the 25th, 2020. A 46-year-old black man was arrested on suspicion of using a counterfeit $20 bill. Uh, This is Minnesota. The man's name is George Floyd. And during the arrest, one of the policemen, you know his name, Derek Chauvin, knelt on his neck for, you know how long as well, don't you? Over nine minutes. And George Floyd couldn't breathe, and he died. And later, Derek Chauvin uh, was convicted of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. And many were relieved that justice had been done. Back in June 1994, O.J. Simpson famous former American footballer, was arrested on suspicion of murdering his ex-wife, Nicole Brown, and a friend of hers, Ron Goldman. After an 11-month trial, O.J. Simpson was acquitted, although he was later found responsible for both deaths in a civil trial. But on his acquittal, many people believe that justice had not been done. Justice is a good thing. 
we like it to happen, don't we? We don't like it when it doesn't happen. But strangely, when it comes to God's justice, very often we don't seem to like it at all. Which seems very strange. Well, today, uh, I want to assert this, that justice, God's justice, is good. I'm going to put the... uh, Oh, here we are. Uh, justice is good. And it is something for, to rejoice over. It is something to be thankful for. It is something actually to praise God for. It is something as God's people for us to be actually ultimately comfortable with. And as we work our way through Joel 3 and come to the end of our little series on Joel, um, we're going to have six reasons why God's justice is good. Uh, so there's quite a lot to say. We won't spend too long on each one. We're going to spend more time on the first than the others. So don't worry. We won't be going long all afternoon. Um, but I simply want to assert that justice, God's justice, is good. Uh, and it's good, first of all, because it's fair. It's fair. And have a look at verses 1 to 6 here. Uh, now, when I say fair, I mean it's uh, what I mean is this: that uh, whichever way the decision goes, it's deserved. Now, in order to understand this rightly, we need to get the times clear in our minds, and we don't know. I've said this, uh, I think, probably in every sermon on Joel. We don't know exactly when he lived, so it could have been uh, as far ago as 900 BC, maybe uh, a little bit nearer to us, 400 BC. We don't know. Possibly the best guess is around about 600 BC, maybe just before the Babylonian invasion uh, of of Judah uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem. But we don't know. We're not sure. Whenever it was written, he is looking forward to a better day, to a better future for both Judah and Jerusalem. And we certainly know that did happen, let's say about 520 BC, when they'd been over in exile in Babylon, and they started to be coming back, and they had a a better future, a restoration from their exile. But actually, no, this passage also looks further ahead, A lot further ahead. So, for instance, if you look in verse 14, he talks there about the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And we've seen in in Joel, haven't we, that when he talks about the day of the Lord, he's meaning when God acts to bring justice for his people. That can happen in history. And we saw that uh, that it has happened in history. But also we know that the day of the Lord, big capital D-A-Y of the capitals L-O-R-D, is coming at the end of time when there will be justice for all people who have ever lived. And this passage is is not only uh, has a therefore um, an intermediate fulfillment, but it also has a long term and for all time and for all eternity fulfillment in terms of God's justice for all people of all time. So Joel's hearers, for instance, would have been thrilled when uh, they heard verse one in those days. And at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, they would have loved that. But also we're looking forward to the day of the Lord at the end of time. When uh, you may say that God will restore the fortunes uh, of Judah and Jerusalem, of his people in his place for all eternity. 
that's called a new heaven and a new earth that's called glory and that's a wonderful future for all christian people that we are looking forward to so much so uh, we need to see the the double fulfillment both that the intermediate one but also the big one looking to a long-term future and in both of those god is promising a fair justice a justice which is good because it's fair but let's look at verses one to six in a little bit more detail now uh, we have a look and see what's going on here and you think oh wow that is dreadful that's just evil isn't it and so for instance at the end of verse two they scattered my people among the nations they divided up my land those are the two great things that god has been doing his intention is to have his people living in his lands and what happens here is a direct assault on the two great things that God is doing to create a people, the people of Judah, living in his land, the promised land. And what is happening here is an assault against that. And God's plans for us, thinking spiritually, are God's people, the church, in God's promised land, heaven. And if those are uh, attacked, uh, and if those are taken uh, and taken uh, you know, there is, a, there is an attack on, on God's people and uh, God's, uh, the, the place where we will be in the future, then God will take that extremely, extremely seriously. So when the devil works against God's people and when he seeks to take away our hope of the future, God will take that very, very seriously indeed. And then look at verse 3. Look at what they were doing historically. They cast lots of my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for, for wine to drink. So they'd kidnapped boys and girls, some to be sex toys, and then sold and transported and deported, never to get home again. It seems that the Philistines were involved. Verse 4, Tyre and Sidon on the coast. They're trading ports. They're probably taking them off to Greece. And Greece was not known as the very center of the trading of slaves especially those who are going to be used as sex toys the uh, the greek island for instance of delos was the center of this sex trade sometimes they even sold 1500 a day that's extraordinary isn't it this is evil 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 and then when it says here, uh, he will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is most likely not a place. The valley of Jehoshaphat, it's most likely not a place. It is, it is indeed, uh, as it says, if you've got the NIV, there's a little B. Look down to the bottom. Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. So the, the valley of Jehoshaphat is the place of judgment. And as we look ahead to it now, it's the judgment seat of Christ. And when he talks in verse 14 there about multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision, same place. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, the judgment seat of Christ. And God's judgment is fair. I mean, some will argue it's not. But look at what we are like. Look into our own hearts. Understand the sinfulness of sin. C.M. Jode said, evil is endemic in man. And we tend to see sin as just a minor thing, don't we? Yeah, we tend to say, well, it's just, it's just something unfortunate. I'm not to worry. Everyone's in the same boat kind of thing. No one's perfect. God will turn a blind eye. God won't judge. 
Because we haven't done that much wrong. And we say, we do still say things like, uh, you know, well, at least I'm not a Peter Sutcliffe or a Fred West or a, uh, I'm, I, I don't belong to the, the latest, isn't it? ISK, isn't it? After Thursday's atrocity at Kabul Airport. I'm not, I'm not, don't belong to them. But we just don't get it, do we? We just don't get it. There was a, a well-known celebrity died of a cocaine overdose. And uh, this is part of an article which, believe, which uh, appeared in a news magazine talking about cocaine and it said this cocaine it can do no harm it can drive you insane it can give you status in society it can wreck your life it can make you the life of the party or it can take you to uh, to be a loner in the in the corner it can be the means of high living and a potion for death And like all sin, there's a difference between the appearance and the reality. There's a difference between how it can seem and what it really is and what it does to us. And we all have sinful hearts. Sin is evil oozing from our lives. It's very, very serious. And if not dealt with, it will, with cruel certainty, take us to hell. And for those who persist in doing evil, doing sin, because sin is so sinful, it's so bad, it's so wrong, it's so harm, harmful, God's justice is entirely fair, good and fair and appalling for those who are separated from God for all eternity. So we need to be right with God, don't we? And we need to get right. We need to confess our sins and turn our back on it and so on. Whether we're a Christian or whether something maybe is going on in your life now as a believer, there'll be an opportunity at the end to, uh, to do that. So justice is good because it's fair. That's the first point. That's the big one. There are five others and they're all shorter. Okay. So uh, the second one is this. It really is this. Steph, could you click that on for me? Ah, thank you. Appropriate. Verses 7 to 8. Verses 7 to 8. God's people here. Um, uh, Look, look, read verse 7 and 8. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. Uh, So all this deporting and taking off boys and girls off to Greece... Actually, there's going to be a punishment which is very similar. So I will, verse 8, I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. Far away, they're actually down in Arabia. They were a nomadic people. They sold uh, people, slaves, to, um, to traders who came from India and from down in East Africa. Again, it's a one-way route. You're not going to come back. You're a long way from home. It's a permanent deportation. It is an appropriate punishment for what is going to happen there. It's hard to nail all this historically, but this is a promise of what's going to happen. And sin is essentially a departure from God. It's living without God in our lives. It's ignoring God. It's living life with no reference to God in life at all. And on Judgment Day, the day of the Lord... If we've lived life here without God, ignoring God, then God will give us that for eternity. That's appropriate, isn't it? It's giving us what we've chosen, tragically appropriate. 
I wonder if you've ever thought of hell being appropriate. I think tragically that is precisely what it is. Hauntingly appropriate. And please, I don't, I don't like talking about hell. But we do need to. If we love people. It's something that we're desperate for people to avoid. And I'm desperate for you to avoid it. So that's the second thing. It is appropriate God's justice. And the third thing uh, is it's comprehensive. And verses 9 to 14. So look at verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That we're talking about crowds as far as the horizon, as far as you can see and beyond, assembled before God. And who makes the decisions in this valley of decision? Was well, not us. Not us. God calls the shots on judgment day. And it will be the day when everything is resolved when everything is sorted out, when all evil is judged, when it's removed from the universe for good. And uh, what we have here in verses 9 to 13, where uh, we see it's almost like a challenge. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. It's, it's, it's like a challenge. Come on, come. And people will be, conf- it seems the idea of verses 9 to 13 are people preparing for war. It's almost a religious thing. When it says prepare, it's that the word is actually literally sanctify. Because this is, uh, in those days, preparing for war was very often a religious thing that you did for your God. And he's saying here, look, come and meet in this valley of decision. You may come arrogantly. You may come thinking that you know better. You may come thinking, yes, I'm good enough. You may come thinking, you know, well, I'm better than God. Prepare for war. And he says, actually, this judgment uh, is good because it is comprehensive. God is not intimidated by evil. They will come as if for war on the last day, a day and the place of judgment, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision. And then the sickle will be swung, verse 13. And the grapes will be trampled. For the winepress is full and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. There is a comprehensive to God's justice in the valley of decision and I hope that is a motivation to us to want to be right with God to sort it out maybe to return to God from our wanderings to make sure that we're his so it's comprehensive Um, the next one is to say it's terrifying Now, verses 15 to 16, I think for many of us, when Jesus returns, for instance, there will be, uh, if he were to return this morning, for instance, I think there'll be, be, oh, I know what this is. But the first thing might well be a huge kind of wow. Uh, And then for Christian people, we will be lost in awe and wonder and praise. But for those who are not believers, who are not who never heard of Jesus' return, 
it will be utterly, utterly terrifying. C.S. Lewis wrote this once, God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if uh, meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. And Joel here talks about a cosmic upheaval. He talks about nightmares in nature, staggering meteorological phenomena not seen before. And the trouble is, we're all too familiar with these kind of things. Hollywood has shown us, hasn't they? You know, just think of those Hollywood blockbusters. I think back to Lord of the Rings and those zillions of whatever they are, you know, meeting for battle and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, the trouble is, it's peanuts. We haven't seen it before. You know, some people think when Jesus comes, oh, it's, you know, it's a bit like, what was the name of that film? You know, that one of those, it's a bit like that, isn't it? No, no, it won't be like that at all. No, the far exceed our, our, our most, our wildest imaginations in terms of, of the, of the size of it and in terms of what actually is going to happen. No one has ever seen anything like this ever. It will be a, a, a universally unique event. And we will all be involved in this most awesome of days, which I think is just a bit terrifying until you realize what it is. I think it will be. But tragically, it would be utterly terrifying if you're not a Christian. You really do need to sort it out, your life with God before that day. Because when Jesus comes, you won't have the chance to. It'll be too late. So God's justice is good, fair, appropriate, comprehensive, terrifying. Next one is to say it's secure. Secure as a castle. Actually, it's much more secure than a castle. <laughs> Castles can be uh, can be surrounded, and they, they you can build up siege ramps and so on, can't they? But our security on the day of the Lord's and in the face of God's justice is utterly, utterly secure. Look at the end of verse 16. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. We'll uh, we'll, um, be standing there with our mouths wide open, overcome with the Lord's love and his protection. There'll be nothing to worry about. Because right in the middle of God's judgment, there is the most wonderful truth of God's grace. That's how God worked at the cross, wasn't it? Right in the middle of judgment, there was the wonder of God's grace, like two sides of the same coin, judgment and grace together. At the cross of Jesus, Jesus being judged for our sins at the same time as God's grace was being shown that we might be with him for all eternity. And on judgment day, there will be the wonder The wonder of God's judgment on evil being removed from the universe. But also, and very clearly, as it says here, the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel, for God's people. And then we'll be home. Then we'll be in a new heaven. Oh, here we go again.
yeah, we'll be home, the new heaven and the new earth, forever, ultimate security. Um, but the key underlying um, thing here is this. Um, that God's people will know. So look at the beginning of verse 17. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. You will know. You will know. You will know. So just for a minute, just for a moment, just have a think. We reckon at the moment, don't we, tragically, I mean, and with evil going on in Afghanistan, that Christians there are likely to die. They'll be shot. Or have their throats cut. And I think in that next moment, then they will know that they were right to believe. That they will know that Christianity really is the only way to God. That they will know that in their death is their glory because they will be with Jesus for all eternity. They will know that God really is just and will sweep away all evil from the universe. Sometimes you have doubts as a Christian. I guess we all do from time to time, don't we? Is this really all true? Surely this, this gospel is too good, isn't it? Isn't it just too good to be true? Surely. Or maybe those saying I'm just a bit narrow-minded. I mean, maybe they've got a point. Maybe I've got it all a bit wrong. But on the day of Jesus' return, or when we die, whichever happens first, we will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion that is on the throne of heaven, and that your place with him forever is secure, because in the midst of his justice, his mercy reigns. And that means that our God's good justice is secure. And the final thing to say is it's final. It's final. Um, look at verses 19 to 20. But uh, actually, if you glance back to chapter 2 and verses 26 and 27, uh, in both of those verses, never again will my people be shamed. And then the end of verse 27, never again will my people be shamed. And uh, and here in verses 19 and 20, uh, it's it, it's more of this, you know, this is final. Jesus came once, he's coming a second time, and he's not coming a third time. The second coming is the final coming. There's not, a, there's not a series of days of the Lord as we look to the future. There is one day when Jesus will return. He had his first coming at Bethlehem. His second coming will be everywhere. The entire world. All at the same time. Somehow. Don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, and justice, the justice that, uh, that will accompany that will be final. No appeals and no attempts to appeal. The results will be permanent as we look at the beginning of verse 20 there. Uh, it talks about Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. That's God's dwelling with his people. 
in picture language. God's place, heaven, inhabited forever for all generations. Uh, evil, removed forever. So look at verse 19. Egypt, that's a place of desolate. Uh, that's a place of slavery, de- uh, desolate. Eden, standing, Eden were sworn enemies of God's people all the way through time. And what does it say about Eden? A desert waste. God's justice. God putting right the wrongs forever. And then you think in terms of positively, look at verse 18, the mountains will drip new wine. That's a, that's a frequent Old Testament picture of the kingdom of God. And of course, when Jesus went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, what did he do? He gave them loads and loads and loads of wine. Best wine ever. Dripping. As it says here, the mountains will drip new wine while it was dripping in Cana that day. Poured out. As Jesus came to introduce the blessings, the wonders of the kingdom of God. So this new creation, this new heaven and earth, God's justice will be dispensed one final time. And what a day that will be. Justice, God's justice is good, isn't it? It's fair, it's appropriate, it's comprehensive. Momentarily terrifying for God's people, eternally terrifying if you're not. It is secure and it's final. So what? You could be sitting here nodding. You could be sitting here at home uh, nodding, agreeing with it all. But Joel didn't just write for us to nod our heads. Joel wants to get under our skin here, folks. He wants to write so that people, so that God's people will be on the right side, will be right with God. We'll have short accounts with him. We'll be ready to meet God on the day that Jesus returns. He wants us to be comfortable and confident in the day of the Lord. So how's your heart about all this? Well, we're going to be quiet now for uh, just a little bit before uh, Ben comes up. And uh, I'd like you to tell God what you think. That'd be all right. Maybe you've never made any kind of commitment to God and you want to now. You could just tell him you need some help. Or maybe you thought God's justice is terrifying because of some ongoing sin in your life. You could be praying to God to forgive you that. Maybe you're just in awe of the whole thing. Maybe you want to tell him that's extraordinary God and I worship you. Or maybe you're worried, perhaps not for yourself, but for your family or your neighbors, and you want to pray for them now. Well, let's be quiet before God. If you're watching online, please don't go and put the kettle on. Stay watching this now, please. And let's be quiet before God now with our response.